0: chapter 49 of Izzy and joy this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org ishippope and joy by anthony Trollope. chapter 49 wouldn't you come here for a week lord george germaine was very much troubled by the nobility of the dean's offer he felt sure that he could not accept it but he felt at the same time that it would be almost as difficult to decline to accept it what else was he to do where was he to go how was he now to exercise authority over his wife with what face could he call upon her to leave her father's house when he had no house of his own to which to take her there was no doubt the house in london but that was her house and peculiarly disagreeable to him he might go abroad but then what would become of his mother and sisters he had trained himself to think that his presence was necessary to the very existence of the family, and his mother, though she ill treated him, was quite of the same opinion. There would be a declaration of a break up made to all the world if he were to take himself far away from Manor Cross. In his difficulty, of course, he consulted Lady Sarah. What other counsellor was possible to him? He was very fair with his sister, trying to explain everything to her, everything, with one or two exceptions. Of course he said nothing of the Houghton correspondence, nor did he give exactly a true account of the scene at Mrs. Montacute-Jones's ball. But he succeeded in making Lady Sarah understand that though he accused his wife of nothing, he felt it to be incumbent on him to make her completely subject to his own authority. "'No doubt she was wrong to waltz after what you told her,' said Lady Sarah. "'Very wrong. But it was simply high spirits, I suppose.' i don't think she understands how circumspect a young married woman ought to be said the anxious husband she does not see how very much such high spirits may injure me it enables an enemy to say such terrible things why should she have an enemy george then lord george merely whispered his brother's name why should brotherton care to be her enemy because of the dean she should not suffer for that of course george mary and i are very different she is young and i am old she has been brought up to the pleasures of life which i disregard perhaps because they never came in my way she is beautiful and soft a woman such as men like to have near them i never was such a one i see the perils and pitfalls in her way but i fancy that i am prone to exaggerate them because i cannot sympathize with her yearnings i often condemn her frivolity but at the same time i condemn my own severity i think she is true of heart a loving woman, and she is at any rate your wife. You don't suppose that I wish to be rid of her? Certainly not, but in keeping her close to you, you must remember that she has a nature of her own. She cannot feel as you do in all things any more than you feel as she does. One must give way to the other, each must give way to the other if there is to be any happiness. You don't mean to say she ought to waltz, or dance stage dances. Let all that go for the present she won't want to dance much for a time now and when she has a baby in her arms she will be more apt to look at things with your eyes if i were you i should accept the dean's offer there was a certain amount of comfort in this but there was more pain his wife had defied him and it was necessary to his dignity that she should be brought to submission before she was received into his full grace and the dean had encouraged her in those acts of defiance they had of course come from him she had been more her father's daughter than her husband's wife, and his pride could not endure that it should be so. Everything had gone against him hitherto he had been able to desire her to leave her father and to join him in his own home. Now he had no home to which to take her. He had endeavoured to do his duty, always accepting that disagreeable episode with mrs Houghton and This was the fruit of it. He had tried to serve his brother because his brother was Marquis of Brotherton and his brother had used him like an enemy. His mother treated him with steady injustice. And now his sister told him that he was to yield to the dean? He could not bring himself to yield to the dean. At last he answered the dean's letter as follows. My dear dean, your offer is very kind, but I do not think that I can accept it just at present. No doubt I am very much troubled by my brother's conduct. I have endeavored to do my duty by him, and have met with but a poor return. What arrangements I shall ultimately make as to a home for myself and Mary I cannot yet say. When anything is settled I shall, of course, let her know at once. It will always be, at any rate, one of my chief objects to make her comfortable, but I think that this should be done under my roof and not under yours. I hope to be able to see her in a day or two, when perhaps I shall have been able to settle upon something. Yours always affectionately, G. Germain. Then, upon reading this over and feeling that it was cold and almost heartless, he added a postscript, I do feel your offer to be very generous, but I think you will understand the reasons which make it impossible that I should accept it. The dean, as he read this, declared to himself that he knew the reasons very well. The man was pig-headed, foolish, and obstinately proud. So the dean thought, as far as he himself was concerned, Lord George's presence in the house would not be a comfort to him. Lord George had never been a pleasant companion to him, but he would have put up with worse than Lord George for the sake of his daughter. On the very next day Lord George rode into Brotherton and went directly to the deanery. Having left his horse at the inn, he met the dean in the close, coming out of a side door of the cathedral close to the deanery gate. "'I thought I would come in to see Mary,' he said. "'Mary will be delighted. I did not believe that I should be able to come so soon when I wrote yesterday.' I hope you are going to tell her that you have thought better of my little plan. Well, no, I don't think I can do that. I think she must come to me first, sir. But where? I have not yet quite made up my mind. Of course there is a difficulty. My brother's conduct has been so very strange. Your brother is a madman, George. It is very easy to say so, but that does not make it any better. Though he be ever so mad, the house is his own if he chooses to turn me out of it he can i have told mr knox that i would leave it within a month for my mother's sake but that as i had gone there at his express instance i could not move sooner i think i was justified in that i don't see why you should go at all he would let the place or if you do go why you should not come here but of course you know your own business best how do you do mr Groschet? i hope the bishop is better this morning At this moment, just as they were entering the deanery gate, the bishop's chaplain had appeared. He had been very studious in spreading a report which he had no doubt believed to be true, that all the Germain family, including Lord George, had altogether repudiated the dean, whose daughter, according to his story, was left upon her father's hands because she would not be received at Manor Cross. For Mr. Groschut had also heard of Jack de Baron, and had been cut to the soul by the wickedness of the Kappa Kappa the general iniquity of mary's life in london had been heavy on him brotherton upon the whole had pardoned the dean for knocking the marquis into the fireplace having heard something of the true story with more or less correctness but the chaplain's morals were sterner than those of brotherton at large and he was still of opinion that the dean was a child of wrath and poor mary therefore a grandchild now when he saw the dean and his son-in-law apparently on friendly terms The spirit of righteousness was vexed within him as he acknowledged this to be another sign that the dean was escaping from that punishment, which alone could be of service to him in this world. His lordship is better this morning. I hope, my lord, I have the pleasure of seeing your lordship quite well. Then Mr. Groshit passed on. I'm not quite sure, said the dean, as he opened his own door, whether any good is ever done by converting a Jew. But St. Paul was a converted Jew, said Lord George. Well, yes. In those early days Christians were only to be had by converting Jews or pagans, and in those days they did actually become Christians, but the Groshets are a mistake. Then he called to Mary, and in a few minutes she was in her husband's arms on the staircase. The dean did not follow them, but went into his own room on the ground floor, and Lord George did not see him again on that day. Lord George remained with his wife nearly all afternoon, going out with her into the town as she did some little shopping and being seen with her in the market-place in clothes it must be owned of mary that she was proud thus to be seen with him again and that in buying her ribbons and gloves she referred to him smiling as he said this and patting and pretending to differ as he said that with greater urgency than she would have done had there been no breach between them it had been terrible to her to think that there should be a quarrel terrible to her that the world should think so There was a gratification to her in feeling that even the shopkeepers should see her and her husband together, and when she met Canon Pountner, and stopped a moment in the street while that worthy divine shook hands with her husband, that was an additional pleasure to her. The last few weeks had been heavy to her in spite of her father's affectionate care, heavy with a feeling of disgrace from which no well-minded young married woman can quite escape when she is separated from her husband. She had endeavored to do right she thought she was doing right but it was so sad she was fond of pleasure whereas he was little given to any amusement but no pleasures could be pleasant to her now unless they were in some sort countenanced by him she had never said such a word to a human being but since that dancing of the kappa kappa she had sworn to herself a thousand times that she would never waltz again and she hourly yearned for his company having quite got over that first difficulty of her married life that doubt whether she could ever learn to love her husband during much of this day she was actually happy in spite of the great sorrow which still weighed so heavily upon them both and he liked it also in his way he thought that he had never seen her looking more lovely he was sure that she had never been more gracious to him the touch of her hand was pleasant to his arm and even he had sufficient spirit of fun about him to enjoy something of the mirth in her little grimaces when he told her what her father had said about Mr. Grosset, even he laughed at her face of assumed disgust. Papa doesn't hate him half as much as I do, she said. Papa always does forgive at last, but I can never forgive Mr. Grosset. What has the poor man done? He is so nasty. Don't you see that his face always shines? Any man with a shiny face ought to be hated. This was very well to give as a reason, but Mary entertained a very correct idea as to Mr. Groshit's opinion of herself. Not a word had been said between the husband and wife as to the great question of residence till they had returned to the deanery after their walk. Then Lord George found himself unable to conceal from her the offer which the dean had made. "'Oh, George, why don't you come?' "'It would not be—' "'Fitting.' "'Fitting? Why not fitting?' I think it would fit admirably. I know it would fit me. Then she leaned over him and took his hand and kissed it. It was very good of your father. I am sure he meant to be good. It was very good of your father, Lord George repeated. Very good indeed, but it cannot be. A married woman should live in her husband's house, and not in her father's. Mary gazed into his face with a perplexed look, not quite understanding the whole question, but still with a clear idea as to a part of it. All that might be very true, but if a husband didn't happen to have a house, then might not the wife's father's house be a convenience? They had indeed a house, provided no doubt with her money, but not the less now belonging to her husband, in which she would be very willing to live if he pleased it, the house in Munster Court. It was her husband that made objection to their own house. It was her husband who wished to live near Manor Cross, not having a roof of his own under which to do so. Were not these circumstances which ought to have made the deanery a convenience to him? Then what will you do? she asked. I cannot say as yet. He had become again gloomy and black-browed. Wouldn't you come here for a week? I think not, my dear. Not when you know how happy it would make me to have you with me once again. I do so long to be telling you everything. Then she leaned against him and embraced him and implored him to grant her this favor, that he would not yield. He had told himself that the dean had interfered between him and his wife, and that he must at any rate go through the ceremony of taking his wife away from her father. Let it be accorded to him that he had done that, and then perhaps he might visit the deanery. As for her, she would have gone with him anywhere now, having fully established her right to visit her father after leaving London. There was nothing further settled, and very little more said, when Lord George left the deanery and started back to Manor Cross but with mary there had been left a certain comfort the shopkeepers and dr pountner had seen her with her husband and mr groshett had met lord george at the deanery door end of chapter forty nine